Hi, everybody. Uh, Tony Marcolini. Welcome to It May Interest You to Know. Uh, I'm joined today with my co-host, Seamus McDonough, uh, and also a very special guest is with us today. Uh, he has had uh, an amazing career in as a writer. Uh, you're going to know him from projects like Who's the Boss and Family Ties and Seinfeld, Emmy nominated. Uh, right now, he's got a series of mystery novels that he's got me hooked on. Uh, welcome for me, Lawrence Levy. Hi, Tony and Seamus. Nice to meet you. Nice Hi, to meet Hi. Nice to meet you as well. So I want to get to your mystery novels because I picked one up and now you, you have me addicted. Uh, but before <laughs> but before I get Thank you. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> I, I want to go back to the to the early years for you and and okay. you know uh, you know pick your brain a little bit about some of the early projects. I did not know this, but you actually wrote uh, some scripts for Trapper John M.D., the old drama. Yes, I did write a, a script. In fact, it was based on my own experience. You know, um, when I was 18 years old, um, I was a freshman at Cornell University, and we went in. I had my first chest X-ray ever. And they found, they said, you got to come back here. We've got to take another one. And they found all these lesions on my lungs. And it was scary. You know, they said you could have Hodgkin's disease or you could have this thing called sarcoidosis. And they wound up um, taking a lymph node out of my neck. Uh, Christmas vacation, they found it was sarcoidosis. It's something that I've lived with all these years where Hodgkin's, you may not live. Actually, you can die of sarcoidosis too, but I didn't have that. It wasn't that severe. Yeah, you don't remember the comic Bernie Mac? Uh, no, actually, uh, I don't. An African-American comic. He had his own TV show on Fox. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I do remember that. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, he, di he died of sarcoidosis, but I, I, his was much more severe than mine. Uh, and uh, so The Trapper John was a story about one of the interns who self-diagnosed himself and thought he had Hodgkin's disease and he really had sarcoidosis. You know, I mean, that was just that was the story and I just pitched it to them and they said, let's do it, you know, so. Wow. If that's anything. Now, but, I mean, how close, did you watch, were you a follower of MASH when it was on? Oh, sure. Uh, David Isaacs, who was a writer on that show for all the years that MASH was on, was a friend of mine. I used to follow it quite well. It, it was a wonderful show. How close were you forced to to follow any character traits, you know, from Mash to? I mean, because it really was supposed to be the same character, right? I mean, it's uh, a little different. I mean, he's in a hospital in the states, and he's much older. I mean, it's Pernell Roberts, you know. Uh, so um, it didn't have a lot to do with that, unfortunately. I mean, the, the show. From what I saw, it didn't have a lot to do with that kind of zany humor that MASH had. You know, it was, it was more a straight hospital show. Right. So then you move on. I mean, you seem to move out of the drama uh, uh, genre more into comedy. Yeah, I've had a very eclectic career. You know, I, I've done hour drama shows. I've done a lot of half-hour comedy. I ran an animated show. I've written, obviously, as you mentioned, historical fiction mystery novels. <laughs> so I've been all over the place. You know, it's what I just feel like 
doing at the time what 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 excites me you know can we talk a little bit about family ties and what that was like yeah actually that was also based on a the story I wrote for them, the script I wrote for them, was based on actually something that happened to me. It was um, when I was a kid, my great aunt died and I went to her funeral. And the guy who was doing the eulogy got her name wrong. He called oh. her Ruth instead of Rose. And it really upset me that somebody oh, yeah. who didn't know my aunt at all is giving a eulogy about her. So I did that with... Uh, family ties where Mallory's favorite aunt dies and the same thing happens to her. But the comedic part of it was that they had put out signs for a garage sale and people coming back from the funeral and people were showing up for the garage sale at the same time. <laughs> and that kind of mixed up thing that went on. So that's how you yeah. got the humor out of it, you know, mm. but uh, so, you know, it's, you draw things from your life, you look at the characters, you see what, they might do or what they've done in the past and you try and come up with a story you know sure um now you also did i mean uh, just a host of other shows like say i think you did saved by the bell uh, who's the boss right um and yeah. the big one i mean well they're all huge they were all blockbuster in their you know in their day also uh, roseanne you know I did Rose roseanne. roseanne true i mean roseanne's mm -hmm. another huge mm -hmm. one <laughs> um I guess I, I want, I'd like to talk about all of them if I could, but I'm, I'm, I guess I'm sure. chomping at the bit to get to Seinfeld. Um, that <laughs> <laughs> That's always the big one. That's always, and it should be. It's a great show. <laughs> but I love Who's the Boss with Tony. I love that show. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, Ten yeah. Tony Danza, Who's the Boss, sure. Yeah. Uh, so, well, I mean. He was a boxer. Who? Did you know, Seamus, you know that he was a boxer? Didn't know that actually. Actually, went to the to the uh, Gramercy gym on 14th Street when I was there many years ago, and they had. They had I knew his trainer, uh, Al Gavin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and because I know he started out as a boxer, and I don't know how that translated to getting the role in Taxi, but he did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, so now Seinfeld. I I want to say you are Emmy nominated for a. For one of the scripts you wrote for Seinfeld, true? Right, the Mango. The Mango. And I also I won the the Writers Guild Award for it also. I mean, wow. What, now, what was that like? Like the day you get that phone call, hey, have you checked the list? <laughs> your, your your script just got nominated for Seinfeld. What what's that like? It's it was really the whole thing was really weird. You know, I wrote it the winter before it premiered like in January and it premiered it it started it premiered the new season in September and uh I turned to my wife and I said you know the Seinfeld is premier my episode is premiering the season I'm gonna get nominated for an Emmy for this <laughs> <laughs> just, just because they you know the reason I the reason I was thinking that is that, you know, there are just so many quality shows that get Emmy nominations and Seinfeld was certainly one of them. And the fact that they premiered my se the season with my episode made me feel that I might get a nomination. I didn't even, wasn't even thinking of the Writers Guild Award, which I wound up winning at that time, <laughs> but uh, which 
even later, but it, it was, uh, it's very exciting. It's incredibly exciting. My daughter actually won an Emmy for her first script. And um, I went to the Emmys with her for that. And um, I started crying. I was so thrilled for wow. her. Flashed yeah. me on national television, me crying. <laughs> my daughter won, yep. but uh, you know I'm entitled. She's my kid. <laughs> so I didn't know your daughter was a writer. That's interesting. Well, yeah, and, and like I said, you know, she she's kind of lived the miracle of show business that happens once in a blue moon to people. Uh, she was at USC film school studying and she called me today and said, well, I take this feature rewrite course from one of the writers of The Sopranos because they're having a, li a long hiatus and he's able to teach a course here. Well, that teacher turned out to be Matt Weiner mm. who created Mad Men. Yeah. And about, I think she was in one of her first or second job. She was working as an assistant to executive producer and Matt found her on Facebook and said, what are you doing? And she said, well, I'm working for this. I'm an assistant to this executive producer. And he said, well, if I knew you were willing to be assistant, you could have been my assistant. <laughs> so she called me and said, dad, what should I do? And I said, what do you mean? What should you do? Call him back and say, if you ever have a job that opens up, I would love to work with you. Within two weeks, she was his writer's assistant. And at the end of the season, they co-wrote the finale. This was the third season of Mad Men, and they won the Emmy. Wow. Wow. And then the next, season, the next season, she was put on staff, and she won the Writers Guild Award for her own solo script. Good so game. that's pretty impressive. She's she stayed in games. Mad Men to the end of the run, and uh, she's making money hand over fist, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. I'm very happy for her. Like I said, good genes. She's got the writing in the genes. <laughs> well, I'd like to take credit for it. <laughs> I'll try. Serve it. <laughs> so now, tell yeah. me, were you on set for Seinfeld when you're when the episode that you? Uh, when yeah, there was it was it was a spec thing. Uh, you know, I knew Larry, and I had pitched him a couple of things, and it just didn't work out. And then I called him on the phone one day and said. How's this for a pitch? And it was just one line, basically. Elaine tells Jerry that all the time they were dating, she never had an orgasm. <laughs> and he said, we got to do this one. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. I went in and we, we, you know, we beat out the story and, you know, the whole deal. So that was fun. Sure. And how much were you on set? Like, were there rewrites? Or how much was that just magic from when it started filming? Or now, there's One thing you have to know about television, there's always rewrites. <laughs> now, I mean, there's just no question about it. I don't care who you are. Uh, well, no, if you're Larry David, you're rewriting your own stuff. But um, generally, you finish a script and the room rewrites the script. You know, they, they throw in punch-ups or whatever else they want to do. On Seinfeld, it's different. Larry rewrote all the scripts. So in other words, he was working day and night. He was killing himself. And obviously, the product turned out to be great. But uh, it was different than other shows in that respect. 
Now, how did it compare to like you, you, uh, as Seamus alluded to, you also were writing on uh, who's the boss. Yeah. Um, now, how, did you approach those, pro those projects differently? Well, you, know, you approach them according to what the show is. You know, you, you have to look at the individual show. You can't just randomly come up with a story that could fit any show, as far as I'm concerned. Um, well, were you fans? I mean, were you like a fan of were these shows that you watched, like Seinfeld? Well, I was definitely a fan of Seinfeld. Who's the boss I knew of? I mean, when you're a TV writer, you try to study the shows that are on the air. So in case you ever get called to come in and talk to them and interview about staff or, or to pitch a show, uh, you know what you're talking about. Because you, know, you got to know the characters. In, in the Who's the Boss case, um, I looked at the show and I said, hmm, Tony always talks about his deceased wife as if she was a saint and how much he was in love with her. I said, what happens if he finds out that he thought she was having an affair? How would he react to that? Uh, and that was my Who's the Boss episode that they wanted to do. And we ended it with, and, and we ended it with that she never had an affair. What she did, she was taking art lesson and him being the macho husband didn't want her to, to leave the house and, and go to school. And it made him feel guilty about that at the end. Um, but, you know, I always try to look at the characters in their history and try and come up with a story that's, basically natural to who they are and and what would come up and if you, you know I, that's what i feel like because i mean there are people who just come in with pictures of stories that they could do on any show and i try to make it very you know endemic to the characters i guess that's what i'm trying to say yeah lauren so so uh, i feel like i i love who's the boss i love science but i feel like you've written part of my life <laughs> well thank you thank really? you really hopefully yeah. it has a happy ending i mean <laughs> yes it is a happy ending right now yes it, it is uh thank you I, I, uh, yeah it's so just in I, I was in new york i lived in new york at the time and and uh i just uh just on the upper upper west side where the cafe was so it was just yeah. uh yeah everything was there and it was and being in being at the time in new york because i'm from ireland originally um I just uh, everything just hit me. I just I think that some non-New Yorkers wouldn't get at all the jokes, but uh, just being a New Yorker, I just got them all. Yeah, I mean New York is. I mean Larry's like an icon in New York. <laughs> he did a Broadway show there, and they were just waiting for a line from Curb, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and. Uh, which is terrific. But but what's interesting about Seinfeld is that it's caught on also with the younger generation who weren't even alive when the show was on the air. Uh, it just shows you how good the show is, how you know, it travels well in time, you know? Sure. Oh, yeah. I think it is kind of, there are some shows that are timeless, even like Dick Van Dyke. I go back and I watch an episode, even though it's black and white, it's kind of timeless. It's yeah. age, as opposed to like a Gilligan's Island or, a, uh, you know, um, even the Brady well, I mean, that, that didn't really age as well. 
It was a very well-written show, The Dick Van Dyke Show, and obviously Seinfeld was too, and, and, and those shows, it's the ones that, I mean, kill, people kill me for saying this, but uh, Gilligan's Island was a fun show, but it was, you know, a little silly. <laughs> and, and, you know, just may not hold up over time where... Uh, you know, I think even Lucy, I Love Lucy, holds up over time. Oh, yeah. I you agree. know, there, there are certain shows that the way they are written and who the characters are, they just last. You know, and it's it's a tribute to those writers and actors and directors on their shows. Absolutely. I mean, and you did The Love Boat, too, right? I yeah, I did several of those. I did several Fantasy Islands. Look, you know, you know one thing I found out, no matter what the quality of the show is, there's always something to learn as a writer when you write it. You know, um, Love Boat basically was 20 minute stories because they had three stories in an hour. So if you did one of the stories, uh, you needed to, you needed to be able to write it so that the people who've been away to watch the other stories, when they come back, they know where you are. You know, they so, remember what was going on with your story, you know? <laughs> so did you only have to write, didn't you, did you write the whole episode or only? No, I mean, Love are? Boat was written, Love Boat and Fantasy Island, both were written, three different writers on the three different stories on Love wow. Boat, two different, writer, two different writers on the two stories in Fantasy Island. I had no idea. No. Yeah. Although I do have a funny story about Fantasy Island. Tell me. I, I, you know, I've written four episodes of that show. And one of them I called Queen for a Day, which was, you know, it's about an overworked mother and housewife who just wanted to be queen for a day. And as they messed with people on Fantasy Island, they made her Marie Antoinette <laughs> on the verge of the revolution. So, I mean, that's what they do. They mess with people on Fantasy Island. So at the very end of the episode, she is um, running out of Paris because obviously everybody survives on Paris in Fantasy Island. Marie Antoinette in real life didn't survive, but this one is going to survive. And she meets this guy on the road who's leaving, who's going to Paris on a horse with a four-cornered hat and his hand in, you know, in here and he goes is this the road to paris and the executive producers looked at me and said you can't do that and i said why can't we do it and he said our audience doesn't know who napoleon is oh boy i mean that lack of respect for i mean it shows in the in in the stories and in the writing that lack of respect for your audience and, and funny i said to him at that time because it was true at the time I said, what do you mean? He's doing American Express commercials. Because they had this American Express commercial with, with Napoleon yeah. on, on a boat rocking all over the place. So, I but, remember. So they, but they wouldn't let me do that. So that was never in the show. Uh -huh. But I always found that interesting as to how people view their audience. And, uh, and, and it affects what they put on the screen. Today, they give your audience a lot more credit for their intelligence, you know? Well, you're from, you're Ivy League educated too. I mean, keep, you're a, from Cornell University, correct? True. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you may you may be you know smarter than the average bear too as well. Well, I, I may be, but Napoleon. <laughs> you know, come on. That's the that's not a rocket scientist who's heard of Napoleon. <laughs> I gotta give you that. <laughs> I was trying. I was really trying to even that out, but I throw in the towel. You're right. <laughs> I mean, they were nice guys. You know, just it was just their opinion of what they're on. And look, who am I to argue? The show went on for God knows how many years. So yeah. you know what I'm saying? It's like it's not. They may have been right for all I know. I mean, not right that the audience didn't know it, but but the type of things to put on the air because it was working for them. What's the creative process look like for you? I mean, when you're gonna when you you're about to sit down and write a script, I mean, is there do you jog first? Do you need to meditate? I mean, is there a process or it's just like I can be doing the dishes and I work the whole thing out in my head? I do a lot of pacing. <laughs> Seriously, uh, you know, a lot of thinking, pacing. Sometimes I go for a drive and think about the story because you really got to get the story down right. That's the first thing. And especially when you're dealing with television, I mean, on a net, on a show with commercials, a half hour show is 22 minutes. You have to tell a story in 22 minutes. Yeah. Uh, an hour show is like 44 minutes. You have to tell a full hour drama in 44 minutes. So you, you can't have any extraneous stuff in there that doesn't have to do with the stories and the character because you're, you know, you don't have enough time to tell your story. Right. And it, it's interesting. It's got to be very exact in that respect. Um, so you so and then eventually that? I get the story down and I'll, I'll, I'll put it down in order. And then, event, you know, eventually start writing when I feel I know it well enough. So you write like from a time you create some element of an outline in advance. Yeah, well, I mean, most shows. You'll do an outline, which. Another name for it is a treatment, but we call an outline in television. Um, but you do a treatment with the whole story which for a half hour show is about six or seven pages or something like that, or maybe eight. And for an hour show, it's a little longer. And they look at it and see if you've got it down, if it's what they want, or if they want some changes or, you know, whatever. And then you go to script. Are you big on rewrites? Do you rewrite yourself? Am I big on rewrites? Yeah, do you rewrite yourself? Oh, I rewrite. oh definitely. I mean... Um, but there's a famous quote, writing is rewriting. Uh, but like, for give me an example, when I write something, whether it's a script or one of my novels, when I sit down in the morning, I usually go over what I wrote the, the day before. And that'll get me going. And I'll, I'll start rewriting that and getting that going and seeing everything there is okay. And then I can continue on. Uh, and once you finish, you go over it and there's a lot of things that you realize you missed or wanted to add and, and, and you go over it that way. And in TV, you don't have the time, but with novels, you can hand it out to one or two people and see what their opinion is. And if there's a consensus of opinion about something, you might make some changes. Right. Do you have a most memorable moment 
of it, of your television writing career, whether it's uh, being on a set. Or well, I mean, it's it's hard. It's hard not to say winning the Writers Guild Award. <laughs> no, that was, uh, you know, that's a very memorable moment for me to get up there and, and accept the award. And then it was really weird because um, I got, you know, you accept the award, then you go back and you talk to the press or whatever. And then on the way out, what was really strange for me, there were people outside the Writers Guild Awards. I, I didn't think there'd be anybody who cared about writers, but there were people outside the Writers Guild Awards and they were asking for autographs. And I said, do you want my autograph? You know, it's like, because you think that you're anonymous, you know, that nobody cares about you. They, they'd want Jason Alexander, Jerry Seinfeld, Michael Richards. Why the hell do they want my autograph? You know, uh, but they did. And that was kind of fun, actually. Well, sure. I mean, at the time, Seinfeld was on top of his game. Gad, I'm sorry I interrupted you, Shane. No, it's, it's okay. Lawrence, so I had the same experience with the autograph things. I did the boxing and I fought Holyfield back in the day. But I remember the first time someone wanted my autograph, like, want my, whatever, you know. Anyway, so I, uh, did you have any men, any mentors? Mentors. Okay, that's a good question. Um, you know, I'm thinking, uh, not really that much. I took a class. See, I started out as an actor, okay? Mm. And I uh, studied at the Neighborhood Playhouse in New York with Sandy Meisner, who was at the time one of the top acting teachers in the world. And I was there for two years, and I went out and I did a bunch of roles, small roles, but, you know, mm. some, in, some in plays, you know, some in television. Uh, mm. I had the lead in some plays, but they were like off-Broadway stuff. Um, and summer stock. And after a while, when I was out here in Los Angeles, I was getting these five-line parts, ten-line parts. I, I got a continuing role on a, on a show called Heck Ramsey with Richard Boone, uh, who um, and was supposed to go to an hour series, 22 episodes, and I was told that I'd be regular on it. And then Richard and Lou Osman had a big argument, and he walked off the series. And that was the end of Eck Ramsey. But um, I just didn't feel fulfilled doing it. I felt I would go into casting director's offices and I could tell from the look on their face when I walked in before I read anything, either I looked the role or I didn't look the role. Mm. And it was a very physical thing. And, and I always wanted to write. But I was when I was at Cornell, I was kind of, uh, kind of cowered by... Uh, the professors in creative writing classes who would talk about Shakespeare and Hemingway and Fitzgerald in such a revered way that we could never measure up to them. And so I uh, felt a little intimidated and didn't mm. think about that. And then after I was out here for a while, I looked at the writing and I said, well, I can do that. And I sat down and the first thing I wrote, I sold, which was Beautiful. a wonderful indication of <laughs> what I should be doing. Uh, yeah. And now, if you asked me, I'd much rather write than ever think about acting. You know, I mm. just love what I do. Mm. What was the first thing that you sold? It was actually, it was a pilot to ABC about summer camp. 
It wound up not becoming series, but it was a, my first credit and it got me an agent and got me started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. I have to move to uh, your book writing. You're an author. Um, you started, which I think is an odd choice for you, and I want to poke your brain as to what made you pick a female. I think that's very, uh, you know, enlightened of you. But your lead <laughs> character, your lead character is is Mary Henley, and and she winds up being a female detective set in like the 1800s. Uh, right so now, not even in time. Let me tell you how that came about. That's the book, Second Street Station. Um, I, I helped my son on a, a school project that he was doing. It had to do with Edison. And I did some research on Edison. And I was looking at the uh, fight over the electricity market between him and Tesla. And all of a sudden I said to myself, wouldn't it be interesting if, we told the, if I told this story uh, around a real murder that happened back then. And I did some research and found Mary Handley, who uh, worked in a sweatshop and was asked to help find this woman who murdered this man. And so that's how, and then she wound up taking over the book, that character. She was, uh, I, I try to make her as, I didn't know the character of the real Mary, but I try to make her who I would have wanted her to be, <laughs> you know, and uh, she, uh, I fell in love with her and uh, the four publishers that were bidding to get the book fell in love with her. And that's how that came about. And it was the first book I ever wrote. Wow. Uh, which is, know. pisses a lot of other writers off when I tell them that, but uh <laughs> I was very fortunate. Let me put it that way. Very, very fortunate. It's, it's and that turned, into a four, that turned into a four-book series, you know? Which I'm reading my way through. Seamus, I, I didn't <laughs> cut you off. I just wanted to throw that out there. I'm actually reading yeah. my way through. But Thank it's, you. It's, it's, it's called the, the Mary Handley Mystery Series. But, you know, the Second Street Station, then there's Brooklyn on Fire, and, you know, and Last Stop in Brooklyn and near Prospect Park. Those are the four books that are out. And you don't have to read them in order, but it would be helpful. But I try to write them as if they, they're standalones. You know? Sure, because I jumped. I started with your second street station, and now I'm on near near, near Prospect Park, which is, is like the, the fourth. But I plan on going back for the other two. It's truly, it's an addictive yeah. read. If you haven't started reading it, it's, I mean, he created a character that's like way ahead of her time uh, in, in who she is. And she just. Yeah, that was, that was my point of doing that. And uh, she, you know, tries to even though she's a woman in those times, she's struggling and fighting to be her own person, you know? Mm. And um, so, I mean, I would say something about near Prospect Park because before that is where she met her husband in the book before that. <laughs> right. I, I, I figured once I started, he played a much, you learned to, you got to know him better in the third book you know when he he she met him but uh so in any case yeah i i um 
there's something I, I really love about writing novels that you don't always get in writing for television or film. Mm. And that is you get to say how the person's feeling and what they're thinking, where you have to depend on the directors and the actors in television and film to get across a lot of the message that you're trying, that you wrote about. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it's better than you ever expected. And a lot of times you're disappointed. So just in writing novels, it's all on you. And I'm sorry. You know, Shame, you're the one who says those things. Seamus, you had a question before and I interrupted you. I apologize. No problem. <laughs> it's your podcast, Tony. No, I'm not. <laughs> uh, Lawrence, so my, my background was boxing. I, I had a somewhat good career in boxing, professional amateurs and on the way. Such a solitary endeavor, unlike a football team or, or a collaborative situation. Did you feel the same way with writing? Because it is such a solitary uh, endeavor. Well, you know, quite frankly, in the media, television, film, there is a very collaborative feeling to it. Writing a novel, you're on your own. Mm. Uh, I mean, of course... If you sell it, editors may have notes for you, which they do. I, I, I was very lucky and the notes were fairly light on my four books. But uh, in television, for sure, is so collaborative. It's so many writers who are involved and, and, and you talk to them and you toss ideas around. And in fact, there are many shows on television. In fact, Bob Meyer started this on Roseanne at some point, it was after I had worked on it. And then Chuck Lorre, who worked for him, does it on all his shows. They write the script in the room with all the writers there. Wow. On some <laughs> shows. And what Chuck Lorre does is that they take turns putting names on credits, like as many names as you could put on the script that's allowed by the Writers Guild, you'll put on that script and you choose four or five people, and then next script you choose another four or five people. But the script was written by the room, mm. the writer's room. Now, that's not every show does that, but that's to give you an idea. Chuck Lorre shows, and he's had quite a few half hours that have done that. Uh, otherwise, what happens in the room is you come up with a story and everybody banders it around. And then for all you know, you go out and you do your outline and we talk about the outline afterwards and you go out and you do your script. Uh, but everybody, there's input on you know, most shows from, from the room on that stuff. And you mentioned Roseanne, actually, I neglected to ask you about that. You also wrote for, for Roseanne. Yeah, I did a, a, a show called, I think it was called Secrets. I, I can't remember the name. <laughs> I'm trying. Sorry, it's been a while. Uh, yeah, I, I did an episode of Roseanne and had to do with their financial situation. You know. Was there any script John. that you enjoyed for any, any sh of all the shows you've written for? And there's certainly was Saved by the Bell too, which I, I, I didn't touch upon. There's, there's really been so many. Uh, was there any particular script that you were the proudest of? Well, you know, it's hard for me to not say Seinfeld. 
Sure. I mean, I, I won so many accolades for that. It's very hard for me not to say that. It certainly has to be that. Um, Is that the same as the I was just happy. I was just happy as a writer that I didn't have to do anything else to supplant my income. I was able to put two kids in private school and college. And... Uh, I made enough money to do all that stuff as a working writer, which is not easy to do. And, uh, you know, I sometimes I chide myself because I've never had a great success like Larry David has, where he created a series and hundreds of millions of dollars are still coming in. <laughs> mm. uh, but um, I've been a working writer for many years and I've never had to do anything else. And I love what I do. And I have a good lifestyle and my family had a good lifestyle. So well, it's hard for me to imagine that inevitably they're not going to option the movie rights to your, your present, uh, Mary. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah. I, I hope that happens. You know, I, I had a bad experience when the book first came out with Warner brothers. Uh, they wanted it, they optioned it. And then I never met with the head of development there. And then it was just very strange. And, and I had a call once which said, telling me everything that they wanted to do with it, which is exactly what I wanted to do with it. And I'm sure they were just filling my head with nonsense. And they attached me to some producers there, but I never really met with the development people. And 10 months go by and all of a sudden I hear, well, they're not buying that many period pieces anymore. Uh, I want to do something different with this. And I said, no, this is the way it should be. And if you had a, if you hadn't wasted all this time, we could have gotten this going. So I pulled the project from them. And now I'm hopefully, we'll see what happens if I place it someplace else. Mm. I mean, it's the first time I ever stood my ground on something where the other times, because my kids were grown and out of the house, so I can, you know, all of a sudden put my foot down and say, I don't, I don't have to pay for college this year. So, uh, no, I want it done the way I want it done. <laughs> so that's what I happened. Love, yeah. love it. I love it. And and I just had had the question uh, um, from Ireland, maybe obvious about my accent, but uh, you're so down to earth. It's it's so it's such a so refreshing to interview you and and to hear, hear your, your stories and stuff like it's like with jo Joyce uh, and his most famous book Ulysses. His book was about a simple person and a, a day in the life of, of uh, Leopold Bloom, and right. you brought yes. Yeah, so, so there's something about that. It's just like uh, it's just like the obvious and it's down to earth and uh, yeah. It's I guess there's comedy everywhere everywhere. Really, it's I funny. Think... Uh, I, I kid around with with friends of mine saying, I'm going to write my autobiography. I'm going to title it. It ain't fair. That's that fair in life. Things do happen that are wonderful and things happen yeah. that are bad, but trying to explain yeah. them half of them. But uh, yeah. um, when I was at that came from when I was a little kid. I was about seven or eight years old, and we were living in Queens at the time. And I'd come home from school, and my mother had a window. My, we were at a second-floor condo, I mean, co-op. 
And my mother had a window. The kitchen window was right facing out to the front. And I'd come and I go, Mom, it ain't fair. The teacher did this to me. It did that to me. <laughs> you know, just... So, I mean, I, I got that phrase from that. And, you know, it does apply to show business a lot. Mm. You know, things from... happen. Sometimes great projects don't get done. And sometimes terrible projects get done. It is the way it is. It's a business of opinion, you know. Mm. Again, back from for my, my own experience, uh, when, when, when you box as an amateur in Ireland um, and, mm -hmm. and you go to the ring and it's, it's, it's terrifying, but we, the kids do it anyway. My, my dad kind of made me do it. Terrifying being in the ring, fighting somebody, you know, never know what's going to yeah. happen. You go to the middle of the ring and the referee comes there with the two fighters and the last thing the referee says to you before you start, before the bell goes is, go back to your corners and come out fighting. That like that just reverberates in my head and, and it haunts me, you know. Uh, that thing. So, Let me ask you, what got you started in fighting? Why did you want to fight if that terrified you? I'm just curious, you know. I didn't. My dad was a fighter and he wanted to live, you know, wanted us to, he, he wanted the best for us, but he, that's how he went about it was to, to make us become champions, which we were in wow. Ireland and yeah yeah that's fabulous you know yeah that's very difficult to i mean what you did is pretty amazing so uh congratulations to you well thank you yeah i don't regret it but uh, i wouldn't have my kid my son do it <laughs> yeah i mean i i talked my son out of playing football so, <laughs> so i know Good. what you mean yeah, I mean, he was he was a tremendous athlete and he was a high jump he wound up high jumping for ucla and Wonderful. he was also a really good basketball player he got offered for certain colleges to play basketball but when ucla offered him he always wanted to go to ucla so he went there and Wonderful. um you know just to high jump but they in high school they came to him because he was tall and a good jumper and fast they wanted yes. him as a wide receiver Yes. And I said to him, Josh, if you play football and you get hurt, you won't be able to play basketball and you won't be able to do track. <laughs> and mm. so he stepped away from that. And I was forever happy. I wasn't going to tell him you can't do it. I just wanted to reason with him about it. Mm. Sorry about that. No the phone's ringing. He's well aware of the flop, huh? <laughs> Pardon me? He's well aware of the Fosbury flop. <laughs> oh, very well aware. You know, he, he wound up jumping 6'11". What? Yeah. He, he wound up jumping 6'11 in his junior year at UCLA. And I think he would have gone well over seven foot his, in his senior year, but he hurt his foot and he couldn't do it anymore at that point. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, that's how good he was. He was a good athlete. Wow. Well... I know we're out of time, um, but I would like to invite you and, and hope you'll come back to talk about your next installment on your on your Mary Hanley Mysteries. As I said, he's he's got four out right now. It is totally worth the read. It's somewhat of an addicting read. Once you get started, you're not going to want to part with her. I, I think that... Uh, you, you're correct, though. Uh, you probably should read them in order. I didn't realize that when I jumped to the it's a, The point is you can read them as standalones. You can, sure. It's a I little bit lost. better. There are certain characters that continue, but, you know, 
but yeah, it's it's better if you do it in order. Right. I, I think I think so because I feel like I'm I'm missing a little bit of the nuance uh, for how she got to, from A to B. So I may actually put it down and go back and pick up number two. Uh, but yeah, in in two she goes out to become a private investigator, which you know, which she was working for the police department in one in Second Street Station. So. And I love that it, you know, it's it's historically based. So he weaves in many characters that are real, uh, you know. Teddy and all, and also, actually, actually, there's real history about those characters. A lot of the things I write about those characters are true. Mm. You know. And I think number one was based on a, a partially true story as well. Yes. Yes, yeah. it was. Uh, I don't want to give away the ending of one or podcasts, but uh, what happens at the end with Edison is based on a real story about him. It's exciting and fascinating. I highly recommend the series of books, and I hope you'll come back when you write your next installment, maybe to talk to us about it. I certainly hope that happens. Right now, there's no installment in in place, but I'm hoping to get one soon, but I will. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, because I would love to continue talking about your books. And, uh, and certainly, I, I think there, there's got to be a movie coming down the pike as well. This is too significant uh, a character, too interesting to not have that happen. Um, so thank you. Thank please. you. I, I love I'm in love with Mary. So you know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's part of she's like part of my DNA now. It's, uh, mm. But yeah, well, four please. books. You, you can't not be in love with the person. Honor to meet you and, 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 and interviewed on Lawrence. Thank you. It's an honor to meet you too, Seamus. And you too, Tony. It was really lovely talking with the two of you. Thank you so much. And again, don't forget us. Please come back to talk about you know things. Anytime you want me to come back, I'm more than happy to do it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you Bye, take everybody. care. Bye-bye.